0: Welcome to another edition of The Best Business Minds, where we interview business book authors and leaders that write thought-provoking books. I'm Mark Kramer, a serial entrepreneur who consults with family businesses and entrepreneurs. This is our 118th show. Today's guest is Ben Bensow, author of Built to Innovate. And as you can tell, uh, Ben is a faculty member at INSAD. Uh, in France, which is a phenomenal business school. And we're so thrilled to have you today. So thanks for joining us.
1: Well, good. uh, I suppose good morning for you. Uh, It's good afternoon for me in France here. And uh, I'm very happy to be on the show. Thank you for inviting me, Mark.
0: Oh, well, it's my pleasure to have you. So let's first talk about your professional background. Give the audience a little bit about your professional background.
1: All right. So I'm formerly uh, a professor uh, of technology management at, uh, at INSEAD. This is a, a business school with campuses in, um, I mean, the, the main campus is in Fontainebleau in France. We have another campus in Singapore, Abu Dhabi, and now we have a hub in, in San Francisco. So my, my specialty is really about innovation. Maybe to give a little bit of context to uh, the the work I do. Uh, I uh, was trained as as an engineer in France, but then I lived uh, and was trained in Japan. So a lot of the inspiration in what I I do research about comes from looking at Japanese companies. Yeah.
0: And uh, why did you write this book and what's different about this book about uh, than other innovation books? Because uh, I liked how you adopted and embraced uh, different methodologies are used, uh, different concepts of successful innovation. I've had quite a few authors talk about innovation. So what's, what's different about this?
1: Yes. I mean, you, you can see actually the, 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 link with, with Japan and working with a lot of Japanese companies, but I've, I've been kind of, uh, training and teaching about innovation for, I would say about the last 20 years. And, uh, I've seen many, uh, established uh, even centuries old companies able to innovate. And I had discovered that many people think that you need to be a genius leader or to be a startup to innovate. And working with this uh, uh, established organizations, working in uh, industries that are not necessarily known for innovation, but they were able to innovate. And how did they do this? It was not by looking at some um, big bang or, or, or industry-changing effects, they were actually looking for small and important changes in very unexpected places. And what they used is what I refer to as continuous innovation. So if you will, the book is, 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 is really about how do you embed in your organization, in particular if you're large established organization, how do you embed Uh, Innovating capabilities uh, uh, using a systematic approach. So, I've been working with companies and I've seen these leaders transform their traditional company into an innovation powerhouse. So, I wanted to, let's say, document, uh, uh, describe, and document, and and, and, and maybe also codify in a set of frameworks and tools and techniques how these uh, leaders created. These uh, innovation powerhouses.
0: Yeah, and the book is so enjoyable because you've done such a great job of researching them, and I loved all the examples in here. Thank you, Mark. You start the introduction writing about the traits of organizations built to innovate. What what are they?
1: Well, I would say that the the, the, the most important thing is the is about giving permission to everyone to innovate. I mean, as I say, innovation is everybody's business, everyone's business in the organization. And then these organizations were very innovative because they gave permission, they created an environment, a culture where everyone could innovate. Then they they, they built this infrastructure, and I can talk about also how they, they, they built this, um, this organization, this formal, very concrete organization to connect the ideas, the innovators to resources. And I would say another trait of these organization is they are able, again, to um, question themselves. To, I, I, I refer to it as reframing themselves. They, they are able to challenge their, um, their current assumptions, their shared assumptions, and, and, and renew themselves in some ways.
0: You have a simple seven-step innovation process and you teach your clients Please tell me a little about about that and how it can work for any size business, because we have a lot of um, small entrepreneurial companies that listen to the show, and I'm sure they'd like to adapt what you're doing, adopt what you're doing. So can you talk about that?
1: Yes. So actually, at the outset, I would like to say that I'm not, um, how would I say, I'm not dogmatic about, about any particular Innovation method. I think there are a lot of methods and tools and, and, and approaches to innovation out there. And I think uh, what I try to do is to is to is to draw from all of those and synthesize it into a, what I call a seven-step innovation process methodology that can be used either in two ways. Either you can use it to uh, uh, develop a a project you want to innovate into a market you innovate a product or process you have a large project and this is seven steps that you can follow to actually conduct and conclude your project but it's also seven steps uh, you can think of them as a menu that you can use to train the innovating muscle of your team or your staff so either you can use it just like a uh, in isolation, as a way to train the muscle, each tool is very simple, very intuitive, uh, very visual, and or you can use it as a package, if you will, uh, as as a as a process from A to Z to conduct an innovation uh, an innovation project initiative, if you will. What
0: what kind of leader do you have to have at the top of the company? Because you know we've seen a lot of brands disappear. And and throughout your book, you're not even giving just examples of technology companies. You're going across the board. And look, Kmart uh, in the US was once a powerhouse retail company, and now they're essentially gone. And we've seen a lot of companies go. So what's the leader uh, mindset and what kind of culture do they have to build to make that happen?
1: so if, if if you will the, the the book and experience that I had and, and 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 what in a sense the book is trying to offer is a different narrative from what we've kind of uh have been used to in the I would almost say in the anglo-saxon kind of uh, uh, uh environment is really that innovation is is, is 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 kind of seen glamorized as uh you know big bang radical disruptive innovation or it is very often associated with a genius leader, somebody who has a, a, a special talent, if you will. And, 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 and not, not that it is not correct, but uh, it has become synonymous with innovation, we associate innovation with with these kind of glamorous uh, stories. But in fact, as I was saying in in my research, I've seen many companies where you wouldn't necessarily know the CEO, uh, but they are extremely uh, innovative, and they don't necessarily rely only on, on on their top leaders or they don't rely on their R and D capability. But they've been able to create that space, very protected, legitimized space where everyone can innovate. They can innovate in everything they do, not only in their products and processes, but also internal uh, functions, internal processes. And where innovating has become a habit for everyone. So these are the leaders, if you will, who can create. First, first, I think the most important is to give permission to people to innovate, then to create this um infrastructure, if you will, where everybody is invited and encouraged to innovate. You have a governance structure that protects what I call the innovating engine, where people can can actually start to innovate as a a habit. So I think the leaders that I'm thinking about are people who uh, put innovation at the center Uh, Of corporate strategy, give permission, uh, spend a lot of, give a lot of attention to middle managers. We may talk about that later. Middle managers, I discovered, are vital to innovation and they create this infrastructure where anybody can innovate.
0: Talk talk about the middle managers. I mean, I think that everybody basically looks at and and cuts them out uh, when they think of of the process because, you know, you have. Everybody looks at like brilliant minds like Steve Jobs and and Jeff Bezos and Henry Ford and how they, you know, inspired and encouraged people, not just in their own company, but across uh, the board about doing it. But, you know, it's one thing to say it, but it's another thing that people need to execute it and encourage it at all levels. So where
1: do the middle managers fit in? Absolutely. I mean, again, there's a lot to learn from these genius leaders, uh, Steve Jobs, Elon Musk, uh, Jeff Bezos of this world. Uh, um, But now not every company has Steve Jobs on their staff. Uh, uh, So this this is more about recognizing the lessons we learned from these people, but also understanding that everyone can innovate in an organization. And, 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 and this is the role of the senior leaders to, to create that, that, that framework, that, that permission where people can innovate. But the people who are really critical are the middle managers. Uh, again, senior leaders, they, they face a very um, uncertain, volatile environment. So innovation for them is, 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 is essential. They understand this is essential to the survival of the company, and they are focused on it as individuals. Similarly, the people who are on the front line, on a daily basis, they meet with customers. They understand their pain points, their dislikes, their wishes. They understand also non-customers. For them, uh, innovation is a no-brainer. So the people who are really squeezed in the middle with, 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 in some ways, not this direct pressure, external pressure for innovation, are the middle managers. And on top of it, these are people who are made responsible for execution. So they're not trained in innovation. Uh, they don't see the urgency of innovation. They don't have incentives for innovation. But I realize that they are central. Without them, innovation doesn't happen. So I've seen uh, many of the companies that I talk about in the, in the, in the book. I mean, uh, I can talk about Bayer, BASF, Samsung, uh, Fiskars, lots of companies that again are operating in industries that are not necessarily known for disruptive innovations but they, these these organizations have been able to create uh, uh, uh hundreds uh, uh of new ideas coming from the front line because their middle managers uh have have a support structure if you will so first they 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 like let, let me take the example for instance of a of uh, uh, let's say Allianz, the the, the German insurance company, they, they they created an initiative called I2S Ideas to Success, where they would have 72 uh, middle managers who are totally trained in innovation and are you know distributed in 37 countries, and they took on the job of helping helping and training innovation teams and uh, helping them select the ideas and move them into implementation. So I've seen organization after organization creating this uh, formidable infrastructure to support middle managers because middle managers are not the ones who are going to train uh, uh, their people in innovation, but they can have uh, an army of coaches uh, certified coaches in innovation who can they can rely on as a resource to help their team innovate. So I think this is where uh, I see uh, middle managers play a very central role. Uh, give them a resource they can use because they, they, they don't have the time and the resources to train their people. So you need to give them a central resource uh, an army of coaches that they can rely on, uh, create incentives for them. I mean, Alliance UK, for instance, we're talking about Alliance, they they, they, they have um, uh, an innovation uh, uh, league table that they publish on a regular basis where they, uh, they publish the performance of all their UK uh, divisions in terms of how innovative they are. Uh, so naturally every middle manager uh, doesn't want to be at the bottom of that league table right uh, so this is this is what i call i, I have uh, uh kind of developed a small motto uh, for middle managers particularly and i say uh, give permission to innovate and make others jealous uh you 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 may remember the the motto that we we typically have for frontline people uh, uh don't ask for uh, permission ask for forgiveness right of course but on the other hand if you give permission to people to innovate they don't have to be uh, asking for forgiveness for anything uh, uh so this is this is the way where middle managers can can actually be incentivized i would say the incentives should be on the middle managers to create a, a, an, an atmosphere for their teams to innovate rather than put the pressure on the individual innovators if you will
0: I, when I ran organizations, I used to have a, a, a document that everybody who came up with an idea that we implemented, it would say what the idea was and who suggested it. And then when people joined the organization, they got this sheet that was many pages long. Secretary came up with this, the janitor came up with this. Absolutely. And then everybody felt like, oh, well, I can throw any idea out there. And we tell them there's no bad idea. And if we use it, uh, then we would also bonus them uh, based on what the outcome uh, this was. This is,
1: absolutely, this is brilliant. I mean, what I found out is that uh, uh, for people to innovate, they need three things. First, they need to feel that they are able to do it. They are allowed. This is what I call give them permission to innovate. I mean, this has to be given, in how would I say, uh, 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 sincerely. I mean, you know, people very absolutely. often realize that if you don't, give people permission to innovate. I mean, they're not going to think about it. They, 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 they won't do it. The second thing that is essential <clears throat> is that people need to feel capable. So which means that they need to be given the tools, the time, the resources, the training to do it. And thirdly, like you're saying, Mark, they need to feel motivated. They need to feel that they have some some autonomy, that, uh, that, 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 that management wants the ideas. If they don't, I mean, I've seen in many organizations people have lots of ideas, but they don't think that the ideas are wanted, uh, uh, and even sometimes they they feel afraid of of, of expressing their ideas. So they need to feel that uh, uh, we want the ideas, that uh, 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 they, they are going to be acknowledged, recognized, and even you know uh, uh, rewarded for that. Uh, it doesn't have to be necessarily monetary reward, but just just the uh, 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 acknowledgement. Acknowledgement from from a middle manager. Uh, 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 you know, a note that says that you know, uh, I'm proud of you. This this was a great idea. I think it can go a long way. Uh, uh, maybe this is a good a good time for me to to tell you about a story that happened to me. Uh, I was talking about Japan, but this is something. Somebody I trained. Uh, I think it was uh, 2000, 2001 one two thousand two. This is a Japanese manager and and. Uh, I visited him many times after, and I discovered what he was doing to, at his level as a middle manager, change the culture of his team. So he, he had made a very interesting observation. He had realized that when his staff were executing their job, you know, this is may make a distinction between execution and innovation. Huh? So when people are executing, they're usually executing uh, a very structured tasks, uh, where there's a procedure that even can you know, be measured. This is very observable. So when people execute their tasks, they know that their boss can understand if they're doing well or not, how well they're performing, because it's observ- observ- observable. But when they are in innovating mode, you cannot observe. I mean, I cannot look at you, Mark, and say, oh, I think you have an idea. You're hiding it from me. There's no way for me to know. So what he understood is that when people came to him with an idea, they were taking a risk because they could just stay silent if they wanted to play safe. They could be silent and the boss would never know that they had this brilliant idea. So when they were coming to see him, they were taking a risk. So what he was doing is that each time somebody came to see him, he would always say systematically, thank you, because he understood that people were taking risks. So an idea was a gift to him. And he noticed by just simply systematically saying thank you, each time somebody expressed an idea or or suggested something in a meeting, he would would systematically, uh, you know, encourage the person, say thank you. And then he started to see a flood of, of ideas coming to him. People were... Were, understood that he wanted their ideas and that he was thankful for them. I
0: think it's so important to be authentic in that, that you're sincere mm-hmm. about wanting them. But I felt it was really important to show everybody that we actually implemented it and told and complimented the person in front of the entire group. I mean, I one time had a janitor that the, I was the chief operating officer and the CEO said, are you a moron? Why would you listen to the janitor? And so he went on vacation and I implemented the janitor's idea and it made us
1: $150,000. Absolutely, I mean, again, uh, 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 there are two ways to think about this. I mean, I, I, I mean one is that uh, indeed a janitor or, or, or a receptionist uh, uh, can have a brilliant idea for the business, but I'm, I'm, I'm more thinking about, uh, uh, I'm also thinking about everybody in the company has a customer an internal customer or an external customer. So anybody can innovate for their own direct customer. So the janitor can innovate in in, in his or her job the same way that the receptionist can innovate in his or her job. And by inviting them to innovate, by giving them the tools and the resources to innovate, they are strengthening their muscle. And by doing this with everybody, you are building up the innovating capability of the organization. And out of this mass of ideas that that come on, on a regular basis, you might have a brilliant idea that, that, that wins a lot of uh, you know revenues for the company. But for me, it's more a question of building the muscle of the whole organization by leveraging the capabilities of everyone. Number one, we know that everyone has uh, creative capabilities. Uh, most of the time, people they come to work. They don't exp- they don't think that their their innovative creativity is, is is desired. So they switched off. They simply switched off. But they go home. They go to their community, and suddenly they do all sorts of creative stuff. So why don't we uh, uh, leverage this capability that exists in everybody? And as I said again, Mark, everybody has a customer. So if they can think of a new idea that creates value for that customer and for the company, however small that idea is, I mean, it's it's, it's all good, isn't it?
0: Yeah, without question, you should be using all your assets, everybody's experiences, and diversity. So what stops great companies from uh, innovating? My theory is when number crunchers, you know, the finance guys get involved and take over, non-financial service type businesses, that it's basically over. I mean, there's no interest in making long-term investments. Well, what's your thoughts on that? What did you see?
1: Yeah, I think, I mean, it's the same, in the same line. And my thinking is really this notion that uh, in many, many people think that innovation will come from, uh, from senior leaders or from uh, you know, R&D or new product development, is as if like there are some people within the company whose job and specialty is to innovate. And then everybody else, they, they're there simply to execute. So, uh, and I, I very often, when I train people, when I work with companies, I ask the question and many people don't, first, they don't think that they're creative, even though they they are very, very creative indeed, but they don't think it's their job. And I think this is this is really this notion that many. I'm talking about established companies. I mean, startups is a different story. But many established companies are, are have been built and developed into uh, formidable execution machines, if you will. And people think that ninety-nine percent, if not a hundred percent, of their job is to execute. So I think the innovative companies that uh, that I researched and I I featured in the book are companies that have been able to create, I mean, systematically create uh, a a, a protected, fully legitimized, fully organized space where, again, anybody can innovate. You can innovate. They can innovate in everything the company does uh, and and, and where everybody uh, is involved in some innovating activity on a regular basis. It doesn't have to be, you know, I mean, we know about the companies that give 15% of time, double time at Gore or, you know, 3M, but this could happen for everyone. Everyone in the company should be involved in some form of innovating activity, but that's that, that, that space should be protected, fully legitimized and organized. And this is what I call the innovating engine, if you will, the innovation engine. Well, I'm going that, to that's ask you about companies. that. Yeah,
0: you talk about the execution and the innovation engines. How do they complement? How do they complement each other? And well, how does somebody implement that?
1: I, I think we've 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 heard of the concept uh, over many years. I mean, it's called ambidextrous organization. People talk about execution exploration. Uh, 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 yeah i call it explore, uh, execution versus uh, innovating so if you will change is clearly for many organizations a constant this is this is not an exception so these organizations and their leaders their managers uh, they, they have to to excel at two uh, uh activity two set of activities somewhat kind of contradictory but but essential on the one hand they have to execute today's strategy. They have to develop, design, deliver uh, the the, the, the products and services that customers are expecting. Uh, and this is this is the, the responsibility of what I call the execution. This is the job of execution. And 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 managers around the world spend their lifetime trying to excel at that. But at the same time, these organizations and managers they have to 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 imagine the uh the strategy tomorrow strategy and the organization of tomorrow and, and 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 help make it happen uh they have to rethink and reimagine the the, the, the products and services for customers they need to uh, reimagine what uh, what they're doing today they need to uh, invent new products that nobody has thought about and this is what I call innovating this is this is the job of the innovating engine and and and, and what is really important here is that any organization has to operate with the two engines uh, and here I'm being very precise by saying that everyone in the organization, has to be operating in both engines. Maybe for many people, it's maybe 90%, 95% of their time in execution, but they should be getting involved on a regular basis. And this is the role, by the way, of middle managers to actually overlook this ex- innovating engine, making sure that on a regular basis, everybody gets a chance to be involved in some form innovating capability as a way to, to build the innovating muscle of everyone in the organization. Uh, So this is is how these two engines exist. So there's the execution engine for today's strategy, the innovating engine that prepares the innovation of the future. And you can see how the innovating engine feeds new ideas and new products for the execution engine to implement. And this is kind of this cycle between, this interaction between the two, Where, again, I insist, everybody is involved. It's not like saying we outsource innovation to R&D or to new product development or to, to some genius. Everybody is involved in it because, as I said before, you can be innovating in every aspect of your business.
0: So you talk about this. You said, why is it important to shift from the supplier side view of customer view when building your innovation engine?
1: Okay. Yeah. So this is this is interesting. When people are in execution, if you if you pay attention, very often people are in some uh, what I call a problem solving mode, right? Uh, execution is, is is very often about uh, putting a team of typically specialists, and and the specialists are brought together to try to solve a problem, whether it is designing, delivering, or or marketing or selling a product to a customer. But it is very often. Uh, what I call a problem solving task, which is a very convergent uh, cognitive process, if you will. So it's about finding the optimal solution. So you bring the best people to do that. But when you're innovating, this is not about problem solving. This is what I call about problem, problem finding. It's about finding new problems to fo- to solve for the customer. New pain points, new desires, new dreams to, to solve for the the new customers, for the the customers. And I also pay attention to non-customers. So this is a completely divergent process. So this is the distinction I make. When when you are in innovating mode, the focus is the customer. Uh, It is fundamentally about trying to understand the life of the customer, trying to understand their jobs to be done. What is it that they're trying to accomplish, and 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 find out about the dislikes, the likes, the wishes, the desires. So this is this is why it's important to uh, uh, do the muscle training, if you will. The muscle training is about how everyone has this capability of switching. Of course, in the beginning, it has to be prompted. It has to be triggered by tools and techniques, but once the muscle is built people should be able to uh, pivot to switch from supply side to customer side on on very short notice just kind of just by you know changing their mindset if you will and this is this is something again it takes time and 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 and, and i i i use a sports analogy on purpose it's something that you need to train yourself uh, uh, and, and the more you train the, the better you are, the more dexterous, the more agile you are at switching from one to the other. And similarly, like in sports as well, in the beginning, you need tools. You need equipment to train your muscle at the gym. But once you become very good at some, at some, 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 some movement or some, some exercise, then you don't need the tool anymore. So similarly here, people in the beginning, they need some specific tool to help them switch to customer side view, if you will. Uh, But once they know how to do it, they can do it, uh, you know, without thinking, very often without thinking about it.
0: Here's a question from the audience. Have you found that there's a formula or certain consistent components for successful innovation?
1: You see, uh, uh, again, uh, as I said, talking about my background, I, I, I was trained in France as an engineer. I went to Japan to learn about management. Spent a lot of time working with Japanese and observing Japanese companies. Did my graduate work and my PhD at MIT working with American companies. And since I've joined INSEAD, I've worked with companies all around the world. And I don't necessarily am a strong believer of a silver bullet of one way of doing things, but it's more a question of, again, when we talk about innovation, I think Everybody has a contribution to make. As I was saying, senior leaders have a role to play. Middle managers have a role to play. Frontline people are, are, you know, very often where the ideas come from because they are the ones confronting customers and non-customers. So I don't, I don't think there's any consistent, um, uh, uh, you know, one kind of uh, silver bullet or one formula. But uh, at least what I try to explain in the book is that you need you need to kind of uh, create create a formal space for innovation to happen. That's 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 what I found was in common with all of these organizations, and they had different ways of creating this. I mean, uh, I can I can I can give the example of, of 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 the way Bayer created a governance structure for that, but they all have these things in common. First, they created a space and a formal organization for it. Uh, 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 They created a governance structure for it. They created uh, uh, processes uh, for innovating. So I refer to them as the creating process, the integration process and the reframing process. And more importantly, uh, uh, is that everybody was involved. It was not, and and, and in some cases, it was a a top-down initiative. Uh, where it started from leaders who wanted to create a, an innovation initiative, and, and, and they built from top down an infrastructure that pushed, you know, the, the new, the new approach, the new kind of behavior down the, the organization. I found other organizations where it was mostly uh, initiatives that came from the front line, and then middle managers trying to give them space, and it kind of escalated to the top. So there's, there's many different ways to, 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 to get there, and I think. Uh, uh, as you you know, this Mark, I, I I refer to uh, uh, organizations that operate in, in 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 all sorts of of, of industries. So, uh, uh, and it's not the usual suspects. I'm not talking about, you know, the uh, uh, high the big tech, you know, the, the the high tech companies or the entertainment companies. I have I have examples of companies that operate in the cement business, in the tire business, in in the chemical business. These are not necessarily. Uh, I- I industries that are known for innovation. So, the formula that will work in in one industry might not work in another. But 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 I, I told you the pattern. The pattern was really about. It, it 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 may sound strange what I'm going to say, but what I found these companies doing <coughs> very well is that they took innovate innovating. I can explain what's the difference between innovation and innovating, but they took innovating seriously. And when sometimes CEOs ask me what what can I do to help build a culture of innovation, I say just take it seriously. If you take it seriously, things will follow.
0: Um, another question from the audience: In your experience, what causes the death of an innovative culture?
1: Oh, is is fear? I would say is 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 fear. Once once the front line um, uh, is is afraid of um, of expressing the ideas uh, they then 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 the worst you can do. I think uh, uh, again, I'm not talking about <laughs> startups or or, or a genius leader starting a completely disruptive idea—that's a different issue. I mean, then the issue is not innovation; is execution and implementation that you were talking about, Mark. You know, so this is this is a very different uh, uh, set of problems. But but if you want to build a culture of innovation, I think uh, if you if you don't trust the people anymore, if they don't feel safe uh, uh, expressing the ideas, bringing the ideas, and and, and and feeling that this is something that is wanted that they have a safe, um, uh, they have a way to channel their ideas. I mean, again, there are some very specific uh, uh, ways to do that. Maybe this is a, uh, again, I don't want to jump the gun, but I I, I mean, I can give you the example of, of, of uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, let me let me take this one. Uh, yeah, no, uh, please. This company, this company is a German company, people might know, it's called Bayer. It's yeah a of course from pharma, pharma, yeah, pharmacology and life sciences uh, company so this is this is a company of course as you say most people know it's 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 a company that has a, a, a long history of of uh, r&d and scientific achievements okay and it still has a, a formidable r&d uh, powerhouse there but but it, what was interesting is that in 2014 in 2014 they decided uh, to proactively build what I refer to uh, as an innovating engine to leverage the capabilities of the 100,000 employees working in the company. So what did they do? First, they made the, the whole board. The whole board was responsible for innovation. Then they created a, a cross-divisional a uh, 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 committee, innovation committee of senior executives. Then they selected 80 senior managers from across all country groups and global functions. And these, um, these 80 managers were uh, called innovation ambassadors and they were supporting the board on innovation. And what did these ambassadors do? They spent most of their time with middle managers. Remember, we're talking about middle managers. They spend time explaining, advocating, sponsoring innovation, training the middle managers. And as I said earlier, they did something really interesting. They created this formidable infrastructure for them. They, uh, they, they trained and certified a thousand innovation coaches, who were then kind of uh, 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 activated across the world. So this is for the middle managers. And then for the frontline, they created uh, a platform, a digital platform called WeSolve. So this is a digital platform where any employee within the company uh, who is struggling with um, you know, um, uh, you know, a, a problem dealing with a problem with a customer or internal process or whatever can post can post the, the the problem on the platform, and 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 anybody in the company can propose an idea or a solution for that problem. So this is open to everybody, independent of your training, or your function, or your your hierarchical role. You can propose a solution now. Uh, at any one time, they have more than 200 challenges posted on the platform. And, and they were showing to me the, the statistics, they have 40,000 people since its creation of Whistle, 40,000 people participated in the platform. But Mark, the most amazing statistics they showed me was that they, they told me that 2 two-third, two-third of the best solutions for the problems that were posted, two thirds of the solutions came from a, 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 a department or functional unit different from the one where the idea was posted. I, I think this is fantastic. It shows you that they were able to systematically create this. 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 I, I mean, this is it's, it's a governance structure, an infrastructure where everybody gets involved. So. This is this is the kind of the uh, of, of, of engine that I'm talking about, if you will. This is very structured, with people with clear tasks and responsibilities, reporting lines, new functions like you know the the coaches. Uh, I, I re- usually refer this to the the eye coaching. So I I saw the same pattern uh, at Samsung. I saw the same pattern at BSF. Same pattern at uh, at Allianz, where these organization created a central unit where they would uh, bring some of the brightest people to be trained in the newest te- techniques in innovation, and then they would participate in training and coaching people in all the businesses. And what was really interesting to me, Mark, is that I've seen some of these companies once the, um, the uh, how would I say, the new thinking, the new tools were um, absorbed by the organization, they would actually disband that unit because it became it became part of the culture. In fact, uh, like you know, like in the case of BSF now, some of the techniques that these uh, trained coaches were teaching to people are part of the initiation process for any new employee. Any new employee gets into a, a, a you know development training process and innovation is included in it so they've institutionalized this as Absolutely. part of that's that's exactly the word they, they completely institutionalized it and they don't need this uh, special organization that was used in some cases for 10 15 years to jumpstart the engine but once the engine is started you just need to make sure that you maintain it and that you keep keep going you know I said earlier, that uh, I don't. I'm not dogmatic about techniques. You know, some 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 people like uh, like Blue Ocean Strategy. Some others like Design Thinking. Some others, do, you know, use uh, Lean Lean Startup. I'm I'm not dogmatic. As a matter of fact, I I believe that uh, uh, organizations should, on a regular basis, expose people to to new techniques because there's a diminishing return in innovation once you use the same approach. Uh, you, 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 you're more and more likely not to find new ideas because, you you know, it becomes second nature to you. So you need to kind of uh, refresh with new, new techniques.
0: Yeah. So we have another question from the audience. <clears throat> how can small businesses, how uh, small businesses can innovate when there's no middle management? How important is the middle management for innovation? and you don't oh, have actually, a middle man i would
1: say that that uh, i mean small small uh, businesses or or uh, for that matter uh, 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 at least the way i would understand it or or startups the advantage they have is that uh, b- because they're small everybody is is getting involved with customers the problem really why we need middle manager and to revive and to uh, uh, stimulate middle manager is really when you have large organizations where middle managers is completely disconnected from the customer. But but I would say that in in small businesses, I think everybody is very close to the customer. So I, I don't think middle uh, having middle managers not kind of uh, understanding or promoting innovation is not an issue anymore because everybody is exposed to you know customers and 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 non-customers.
0: So another question from the audience: Can you please expand on innovating versus innovation? Okay, Can you talk about that in the book.
1: Yes, I I, I I talk about it, and this this again came from my my experience. I mean, it's it's almost twenty years teaching and 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 training and and, and consulting with companies. And and one thing I had noticed quite early on is that whenever people were sent to, let's call it, an innovation uh, training program, uh, I noticed that even the word, the word innovation, uh, and here, again, uh, I refer to it as a noun. The, the noun innovation tends to be very intimidating. Uh, and people coming to innovation training program, they have this funny expectation that, um, this feeling that when they go back after the training, their boss is going to expect them to come up with, uh, with a new product or, or a, a, a brilliant idea that is going to disrupt the industry. Uh, and and I thought that that in itself, this expectation or this creates a lot of anxiety and fear. But then again, uh, of course, it started completely accidentally, I started to refer not to innovation, but tell people we were here to learn how to innovate. And, and this, is, this is really about innovating and becoming more innovative. So I was, I was, I was not using the word as a noun, but I, I was using the verb. And I noticed that people understood that when you talk about innovating or how to innovate, this is more about the process. This is about activities. This is about actions. And, and behaviors, behaviors that can be incentivized or, 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 or activities that people can learn how to do or ac- actions that can be supported by tools. And I can tell you, Mark, immediately I saw this uh, this fear dissipate. So I picked on that and I started to actually make it uh, uh, the, the opening of any training I do and tell people, listen, this is not about innovation. Because of course innovation, people equate it to a product, to a, a process, to, to basically to an outcome, to a result. But I say, we're here to learn how to innovate. This is about the process. This is about the capability, if you will. So for me, I make a distinction. Another metaphor that can uh, sometimes uh, resonate for people is to say that innovation is, is, is the tip of the iceberg is the result if you will this is what is visible is the product that you launch into the market and when we talk about innovating in particular innovating capabilities it is what is under the water level of the iceberg this this big mass this collective capability you know uh, uh, linda hill at harvard called it collective genius it is about the collective genius how you can leverage the capability and the processes that, uh, that build this, um, generate these ideas. And out of those ideas, maybe you will have an innovation. So I noticed that this, di- this di- distinction, uh, uh, again, I'm not expecting people to change the language. I mean, I, I, I know people will talk about innovation when they are in fact thinking about the process, but, but at least I alert people to be conscious and to be mindful about which word they are using and for what purpose uh, and and my the book if you will is not about finding an innovation is about building the capability of the organization building the culture this collective culture if you will uh uh, uh collective capability of the company and you see that is as soon as you you put the onus on uh the pro, uh, the capability then the the KPI is different. It's it's about behavior, it's about attitude, it's about uh, generating a lot of ideas. Uh, Some may pan out, some may not pan out, but the important is to be always uh, creating and generating ideas and building what I call the muscle, if you will, yeah.
0: So this touches on the next question, which can you suggest actionable metrics, KPIs, that a team can utilize to demonstrate a successful culture of innovation there's lots of innovation theater going on where companies say they are want to be innovative but when you dive into the details it's often business as usual and i totally agree with that statement
1: absolutely absolutely i agree with that so i think one of course it's 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 a shortcut is to is is to measure the outcome you know how many ideas are being implemented but i think we already know that uh, you know if you try to measure the outcome, people will try to to to, to behave uh, in a certain way to just kind of you know uh, show show outcome. I think it, I'm more interested in behavioral control is to is to is to look at the behavior of people. Uh, I think what would be uh, uh, more in, important is, uh, uh, how 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 many how many times a year people would have been involved in some innovating activity? It can be it can be as as simple as being uh, part of a cross disciplinary team on a project launched by another division. But to be to be to be participating as the representative of one's division or function, uh, it, it can be how much time. You know, how many times have you spent with, 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 a, with a customer, a real customer, in, in not in, in execution mode, but in innovating mode, listening, uh, and I can, can come back to it later, listening to the voice of the customer, but also maybe listening to what I call the silence of the customer, or, or, or learning from non-customers and reporting back to the organization. So I think it's more about getting involved in activities, uh, uh, you know, if, if 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 I were to use a sports analogy, there's, there's one thing which is about uh, qualifying for the Olympics, and this would be the outcome, if you will, this is the uh, innovation, when you have a, a project that succeeds and generates a lot of revenues for the organization. And then there's the other one, which is how many times did you go to training? How many reps have you done uh, uh, in, 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 in your training, uh, uh, how many times you've gone to innovation training and, 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 and how many ideas have you proposed? I mean, uh, just, just counting the number of ideas and, 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 uh, uh you know, uh, how would say acknowledging and even rewarding people for, uh, submitting ideas or, or, or being, uh, um, A positive contributor to innovation, I think is is the way you can measure culture. I mean, you don't measure culture the same way uh, that you would measure, if you will, uh, 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 outcome, if you will. So this is more about behavior. It is more about attitude. It is more about uh, uh, language also, what kind of language you use and how how agile you are at switching between, between supply side and customer side view.
0: So, Ben, I've got a question for you yeah. regarding the pandemic. How's innovation changed because of the pandemic? And also, we're seeing a lot of people do not want to come back and work at the office. They've gotten used to working at home and uh, they prefer it, especially in the 21 to 35 year olds. You constantly hear um, people saying at the top that it's hard to get these people to come back to work. So, how's that going to change innovation and how did the pandemic? impact innovation yeah, what, think, what are think, we looking at in the future
1: yeah i mean w- w- one w- one way is clear is that the pandemic just like other 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 forces out there are have created a lot of stress for companies and and created even more so an urgency to innovate and the need to innovate so in a sense the the necessity to innovate uh, uh might have increased with the pandemic rather than uh, than decreased maybe 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 comparatively more increased but uh i I think that um, again, th- 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 there, there will certainly be uh, new alternatives to uh, m- maybe before I explain uh, what I'm thinking, I can I can I can reemphasize the notion that innovating innovation is about the customer, right? is about about typically I, I, I separate this in three things. One is listening to the the voice of the customer uh you know and 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 there it requires a special skill it requires to to learn how to uh, listen with empathy uh, switch from uh, what we, usually people in companies in execution mode they use a, a, a tell mode or, or or even a sell mode and and when you try to listen to the voice of the customer you have to switch into a listen mode and 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 and, and learning how to listen Um, uh, with empathy is very difficult. Uh, I mean, there are tools and techniques to learn how to do this, but this is a skill. The second thing that is important uh, vis-à-vis the customer is to listen to the silence of the customer. Uh, What I mean by the silence is what the customer doesn't tell you either because they don't know themselves or because they might know, but they don't think it is your job to solve the problem. And I can give an example if people are interested later. And the third challenge, vis-à-vis the customer, is to learn from non-customers. And and in in, in all these three areas, silence of the customer, voice of the customer, non-customers, I like to say that you cannot outsource your ears, you cannot outsource your eyes. So this is why I believe that if you want to understand The life of the customer, what the job is to be done, it it, it is not easy to do it remotely. Uh, There's so much you can do uh, uh, with with questions, even open-ended questions. At some point you need to, to observe your customer in their natural environment. You have to be the customer, you have to so. I, 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 I think at some point, uh, uh, staying um, uh, remotely, working remotely, uh, uh, might might be a, a bit of a challenge for some people in terms of, you know, again, listening to the customer and learning from the customer. I can see how you know big data and there may be new techniques that can help us listen to the silence or patterns across uh, what the customer does. But for me to 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 understand deeply your customer, you, you need you need to be with them.
0: Ultimately, I think you need to be able to be in a room and having a cup of coffee and bouncing
1: ideas. Absolutely, you know, absolutely. Oh wow! Yes, and observe the customer. I mean, there are all sorts of techniques. This is where design thinking is very useful. Uh, ethnography is very useful. There are all sorts of techniques, but but you cannot. Get to intimately know, especially the silence of the customer, things they don't even know themselves. If you're not able to observe them, or to 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 yes, to to be with them, uh, and, and and again, there are many examples of techniques that, that are useful for that. But um, and and again, uh, you need you need you need diversity. You need you need people to come into a room and and bounce ideas. And I think that. With all the capabilities that uh, Zoom Zoom can bring and all that, there's certain certain social cues that don't get transmitted. There's no certain it will, I we'll mean, you, in a way, you
0: guys so. get together, you go to a bar, and yeah. you hang out, and you're swapping ideas and yeah. thoughts. Yeah. 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 Or you know, you're at, yeah. in the cafeteria or the yes. or the coffee room. Let me
1: ask you this. Uh, Actually, just just to just to kind of uh, just yep. to kind of close on this one, I can see again now that you you ask the question, I can see that uh, uh, execution task execution engine can can work remotely because very often the, the the task is structured. We know what is the objective function. We we, we, we you know what training people have and all that. Uh, because they are specialists, uh, but but innovation—it's—it's—it's it's, it's all about recombination and having people with different uh, uh, thinking and all that, and 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 and, and the sheer uh, time that the team has to get to know each other—you uh, cannot do it remotely. You you have to, yeah. Okay, I think we. So there are, and you and you use a
0: lot of other people's ideas because you appreciate them and think there's value to them. So the Lean Startup, it's over 11 years old, uh, Blue Ocean Strategy, are those still useful today? And have you used them yourselves or do you see your your uh, clients and the companies you interact with still using those
1: ideas? Absolutely, absolutely. I think you, 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 in the seven step process methodology that I, I, I put together, there are elef- elements of uh, a Blue Ocean Strategy, of course, there are elements of design thinking, uh, lean startup, uh, 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 six six thinking hats, or so De Bono, uh, 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 systematic innovation. There are lots of different techniques that are that are embedded in it because, in some ways, these techniques they they uncover certain uh, um, how would I say certain concepts that are still valid. Uh, it, it is it it is about kind of uh, shifting the mindset, and the tools are there to help structure people's thinking and channel it in one direction where they would not usually go without the the techniques and the tools. So having said that, uh, I'm not necessarily a a proponent of having one tool for innovation for every every problem. I think that uh, having within the organization uh, people who are trained in different tools put together uh, I think can enrich. Uh, um, as, as I uh, I'm mentioned in the book, I see uh, quite a number of, uh, of organizations, like you know people at uh, Axonobel, where I trained people in Blue Ocean strategy and some of these techniques uh, for, for for many years. But now they have a special unit uh, uh, where they actually scout out all the innovation techniques that are put on the market. And they try to appropriate what fits better for them, and and propose those techniques to the organization. And of course, different divisions will uh, uh, you know will react to different techniques differently. I think uh, it, it is more about organizations to be uh, abreast of what is what, what new method exists out there. Uh, 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 you know uh, learning about them testing them and bringing them back into the organization because different units will respond will will respond differently to different techniques and and as long as the techniques help switch people's mind i think this is this is really what all of these techniques have in mind is to to get people to think out of whatever box they are in at the time uh, uh, and 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 I'm sure there'll be new techniques, and the old techniques still still work very well. I think yes. Ben,
0: I got to say it was a quick hour. I loved your book.
1: Oh, we already uh, there.
0: I could have spent a couple hours with you at least going over some of these case studies that you have. But I'm. I hope everybody will uh, who is really passionate about innovation will buy your book and share it with others. So I thank you so much for taking the time. Uh, to speak thank with you. especially you're right now in france or japan
1: no i'm uh, i'm in france and i'm leaving for japan in a couple of days yes
0: well thank you so much i hope you have a great rest of your weekend thank you everybody we'll see thank you all so next much week. thank you thank you for listening to another episode of the best business minds tune in every friday at 12 p.m eastern time for our live recordings Go to www.thebestbusinessminds.com for more information and follow us on LinkedIn and Twitter to be kept up to date with our upcoming guests and other bonus material. See you next time.